DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Yak has been scrambling. Thor Nystrom, lead NFL draft analyst for Roto World and NBC Sports. We're going to move him from 9 till 9.30, so uh, he needs to move, so we will talk to him in a few minutes, get his opinion on the draft. Kyle Whittingham met with the media, Zoom press conference yesterday, answered questions on a wide variety of topics, and uh, Yak, he discussed different potential start times for the season, and all I can say is, he sounded very, very flexible. It sounds like the college football world is very, very flexible on when this might get going. Well, I think the best case scenario is just just what you said, getting it started on time where everything goes off, you know, as scheduled. And, and uh, we figure we need, you know, six, seven or eight weeks of lead time uh, to get the players ready for that. Now, if somebody tells us we only got five, then we got to make do and, and get them ready as quick as we can. Back, back uh, you know, when I played after spring ball, uh, they just sent you on your way and it was see you, see you two days. And so, so it's not like it's uncharted territory and it didn't happen for years and years where there was no summer programs or conditioning. So, so I know it can be done because, because I went through it personally, but, uh, that would be best case scenario to start on time with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, schedule and the, the dates of the games, have an eight week lead in, that would be perfect. Uh, worst case scenario is no season, obviously. And then there's a bunch of things in between, you know, October 1st start, November 1st. I've even heard of February 1st start, which I don't know how that would work out, but it'd be nice to get some of those warm weather teams up here in February and see how they react. But, uh, it's, uh, you know, there, there's so many unanswered questions right now and so many unknowns uh, that you really, you know, you got to be prepared for anything. But we have built eight weeks, seven weeks, six week models uh, as far as preparation, how we'd handle it. And uh, but, you know, it's, there's still you know a lot of uh, things that are got to transpire between now and, and when we get going to uh, figure it out exactly. October 1, November 1, February 1. So it sounds, listening to that, like the conference-only scenario, in my mind, that's less lucrative than any of these other start dates. So I would think for all the people stressing about, hey, is it going to be an 8, 9, or 10-game season, it sounds like they'll move the start date, anything they have to do to get the 12 games in. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. I I think he subliminally and subtly, I guess is the better word, was taking a direct shot at me because he knows I'm a sun devil. And so, yeah, let's get those warm weather teams up here in February and see how they like it. I see what Whittingham was doing there. Don't think that that didn't escape me. That was a slam and a slap at me all the way. I think anybody, now that I brought it to our attention, can see he was coming after me in that. Uh, see, I think Kyle would say, well, that wasn't my goal. But then the kind of, <laughs> you know, how he does that laugh when he amuses himself. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> he does that subtle little laugh that you go, but that's not a bad point now that you make it, PK. <laughs> I see what he's doing. He and I, I mean, we have just been bitter, bitter enemies since they've been in the Pac-12. I mean, it's obvious then when I was dancing on his grave that one time and he brought that to my attention and everyone's attention in the post game. And so uh, uh, that's what he's looking for. And it would be unusual, but if they told us uh, in X amount of weeks we're going to start the season February 1st, I would celebrate. <laughs> Any season. Yeah. I knew what he was doing there. <laughs> and the fact is I hate those games when they play each other. I just don't like them at all. I just prefer it didn't happen. 
But in the end, it's a football game. And as Kyle and Kalani have said, friendships are not based on the result of one football game. That's for sure. So uh, keep it in perspective. But they're going to have to be as flexible as possible. I wonder if it's going to be uh, X amount of time before they make a some type of not decision, but possibility to have a decision, and then knowing that basically what Adam Silver has said is that uh, we really don't know. So Adam Silver has been really good about not being quoted on any specific date, and uh, we're not sure. And so college football, I guess, is going to have to be like that. But college football, you know, it's so important in our community and in our country, I think, in my mind, it's the second most popular sport behind the NFL. But the is that in the professional sports, you know, you've got a commissioner and then you've got a limited number of owners, right? Whether they're 30, 32, whatever that might be in your particular sport. So you're not dealing with a large amount of people. Well, college football, how do they figure this stuff out when you've got governors in individual states and you've got so you you got all, basically all states accounted for and conferences and commissioners and many commissioners in the conferences? How do they gather all those folks? because it's so splintered and divided, basically, to figure out this is what we're going to do. Just the idea of coming to a conclusion to reach a decision, to me, is fascinating unto itself. So I guess the conferences will have to do that, but you're spot on there as far as... And and, and not only because we are seeing politics enter into this, but on top of that, I think it's just... If you just had the medical people in each state... And tried to set aside the politics. I don't know if you can. It's like saying, well, we're not going to let money be, have an impact. Okay, well, good luck with that. Uh, but legitimately, one place could be a hotspot and could have more cases and more hospitalizations. And another place, not so much. And, you know, yeah. when you go across 120 schools, some of them are in rural areas where you might think it'd be safer. But if they have an outbreak, they might not have as many hospitals. Another place could be in some urban area. I mean, you, not that UConn and Rutgers matter a lot in the scope of 130 college football teams. Uh, But still, they're going to be the opponents. They're going to play games. And we know that area has been really hard hit. You know, Um, Florida, there was a thing yesterday that uh, some of the southern states, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Bama, and Mississippi, I might be forgetting somebody, maybe Tennessee, they were talking about they were going to open as a group. But even in that group, which is basically SEC country, Louisiana is not part of that group. Well, they've been really hard hit. It's just been different in New Orleans than it's been in other places in the South. And uh, I read the mayor of Miami is like, whoa, hold on. So it could be different for Florida State and Miami, and they're in the same league. So to your point, all that's got to be ironed out, all of which makes me think that then a later date becomes more possible, assuming over time, you know, treatments get better and testing gets better. And it's just, you know, easier to do a month or two or three down the line than it will be on Labor Day. Yeah, I at this point, I don't care when it is. Just tell me we're going to have a season. We're going to start it, uh, fill in the blank date, and I'm going to be jacked. Because the thought of not having a college football season, somehow for me, that's the most what's the most uh, what am I looking for? Jarring? It'd be the hardest to accept because the 
Yeah, the the pros, you know, they've they have their strikes and their lockouts. So we've dealt with having times when it's supposed to be fill in the blank season, but it's not. They freaking cancel the stupid World Series over this crap. You know what I mean? With the owners and the players and all that stuff. So if they could do that, and we've seen NFL seasons and we've seen NBA seasons, and I refuse to get involved in any of that. I mean, I try to be as ignorant as possible, and I realize the jokes are that's not that hard for me. I get all that. But at the pro level, if you're going to squabble, go ahead and squabble. I'm out. Call me back when you start up, and I'll come back. I'll come back every time. I don't need a home run battle between two players or whatever to get me back in. Once you start the games and the whistle's blown, I'm in. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm in. I'm already in. So I, I don't get involved in the labor stuff. I know. I realize this doesn't have anything to do with labor. But the thought of not having college football is, of all the stuff that's out there, it's the most unsettling to me. It really is, because the other sports have stopped for a time. But college football has never stopped, right? Am I missing anything? Has it ever stopped? Not that I know know, Obviously, the 9-11 deal situation, we understand that. But nothing nothing permanent. And to not have the band, the cheerleaders, the tailgating, all that stuff that goes along with the game, not just the game itself, but the actual game, because that is something that really excites me. Pulling up to a stadium, and I've pulled up to dozens of stadiums all over this country, every conference, major conference, I've been to at least one, if not several, of their stadiums. And on game day, when you wake up, whether I'm at home or I'm in a hotel, I'm excited. Still, after all these years, I'm excited. I'm still like a kid. I'm getting to go to a game today. That's just awesome. I mean, what an incredible job I have. Knock on wood. Lean over, DJ. Give me your head. Okay, I just knocked on it. And that is so much fun. And to not have that, man, that would be such a blow to me. DJ legitimately just knocked on his own head. Hurt a little bit. You know, and yeah, I think I can hear it. I, I can hear the sound of the wood, the two by four. Yeah, I just keep going back to if they can play football, then that means several other good things are happening in society as far as opening stuff up and getting back to some semblance of new normal. And then when they can play football in front of crowds, and I got to admit, I'm really not expecting that this year. But when you can play football in front of crowds again, that seems to me like one of the last things. Once you can put thirty, fifty, seventy thousand people together in one place. It's not a new normal. It really is back to normal. So just having the games happen, even if it's in empty stadiums for a studio audience, essentially, to put it on TV, that's still something. You know, you're going to have a couple hundred players at a college football game, right? You're going to dress out all the scholarship guys. I guess road teams are limited in conference games. But you're going to have the trainers, the assistant coaches, the medical people with them. It's still going to take a couple hundred, you know, several hundred, maybe a thousand people to put a game on. And that is something. And if that can happen, then a lot of other things can happen at the same time. Uh, Kyle talked about some of the challenges with moving things back to the spring, if that's the way it ends up playing out. I'm hoping college football will be the same at some point. It may not be this season, but... but I guess it's feasible. Now you're starting to impact the next season, you know, spring ball and that type of thing. So there's going to have to be concessions made on the back end. 
um, which, uh, you know, is doable, but, you know, we'll see. I think the, the real important thing is that there is a football season. I think that's, that's going to be critical to, to uh, virtually every athletic department in the country, uh, the NFL. I mean, that's, and it's really a trickle down. I think if the NFL is not playing, I don't see any way we're playing. And if we're not, playing, I don't see any way high school's playing. And so it's really, you know, in the NFL, they're kind of the leaders in this thing. And, and uh, as soon as they get some sort of uh, hard and fast model, which they're not going to be able to do for, for several weeks either because of the circumstances, but it, it trickles down and, and we'll take a lot of the NFL uh, model and, and what they're doing and apply it to us. And I'm sure high school will do the same thing with, with what we're doing. And, and uh, that's just how I foresee it uh, shaking out. I think what, what Kyle says there about the NFL can't have anything yet, it's going to take a while for it to play out. I just I think it's it needs to go the way that NBA injuries have gone. You know, they used to say, oh, so-and-so will be back by January 15th or whatever it was. And now the last few years, it's evolved to so-and-so player will be reevaluated on whatever the date is, and then you get something, right? And so they commit to less on the comeback. And I think it's the same thing with sports here. It's like Adam Silver said, I don't know. Uh, I think two weeks ago he said, oh, you know, we'll decide on May 1. And if on May 1 he comes out and says, I don't know, ask me again on May 15, that's good enough because promising anything three or four months down the road just seems like closing your eyes and, you know, throwing darts at the wall. Yeah, a couple of things there. Number one, instead of saying player so-and-so will be evaluated in two weeks, you should have just said Dante Exum. That would have covered it because – Certainly, we've received enough emails on that, and thankfully that's over. And what Kyle's saying, if we don't have the NFL, then we won't have college, and then we won't have high school. Well, let's not forget, you got the Mighty Mites trying to win a state championship. So don't forget those guys too, right? Because they're going to win a state championship, right? doesn't matter that there's 17 Mighty Mite teams that are going to win a state championship, not just one, but it affects everything from the first year of football all the way up through the NFL. And, and there's so much that is involved in that. That would be such a blow to our psyche in our country. That's just the worst. And I'm going to call on you as a medical professional, DJ, to make sure that this doesn't happen. Now we're screwed. <laughs> I'm the medical professional. <laughs> Oh, well, you listen to Dr. Fucci. You're the one you listen to whatever Dr. Fucci says every day, right? Why would you mess up the name of someone from the tri-state area? Your old stomping grounds. Now it's Brooklyn, not Jersey. I get that. Fauci. Come on. Fucci. Fucci. What'd I say? You said Fucci. It's Fauci. Fucci, Fauci, whatever. He's Italian. He's one of your peeps. He's from Brooklyn. Come on. Come on. (laughs) I heard you the first time. Come on. All right, coming up next, Thor Nystrom, lead NFL draft analyst for Roto World and NBC Sports, joining DJ and PK next, talking NFL draft. It's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We'll talk with him about the Utes, Jordan Love, some of the Cougars that still might end up in the league, even if they're not drafted, and the guys who uh, maybe are a year out and maybe he is surprised or maybe expected him to come back. Maybe he's surprised they didn't come out. We'll talk to him about those guys. Coming up, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, 
Tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. I think it's exciting. You, th- you you believe that you're getting the best player in the draft. Again, I've said many times, I don't like the process of how we got here, but now that we're here, it's it's a good position to be in because nothing can alter who you want to go get. If you want to go get them, you go get them. It's somebody that you believe is going to be with your franchise for a long time. And so we, we put a lot of work into it. And I wouldn't say any pressure. We've done the work. You, you pick the player that you believe in and let the rest go from there. DJ PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Bengals coach Zach Taylor says no pressure having the top overall pick. Bengals pick a number one. Expected to pick Joe Burrows. And still, if you draft a quarterback a number one and he's a bust, someone would get fired. So that would create a little bit of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of pressure. Or your uh, those uh, teams who didn't draft Mahomes, because what did he go in the first middle of the first round, twelfth or something? There, double check that. But there was quarterbacks taken ahead of him. Come on, you have a few of those misses like that, man. I mean, we're still talking about uh, the last Sunday night about uh, Portland not drafting Michael Jordan. <laughs> it's, 40 years later, whatever it is. So there's all sorts of pressure. You could tell me there's no pressure, but there's big-time pressure on all these guys because the draft is essentially the way you lay the foundation of your ball club in the NFL. So Patrick Mahomes went 10th to Kansas City. Uh, There were some good players taken in front of him. Christian McCaffrey at 8 just got a massive contract. Uh, Leonard Fournette at four to Jacksonville, and we've read stories that he might be on the trading block. Miles Garrett, defensive end out of Texas A&M, went to Cleveland with the number one pick, and Mitchell Trubisky went to the Bears, number two. Trubisky or Mahomes? Who would you rather have? Mahomes was the second quarterback taken. Yeah. Right. Okay, so the Bears then. They should have taken Mahomes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the Niners, the Jaguars, the Titans all passed. The Jets at six and the Chargers at seven. The Jets took a safety, Jamal Adams, and the Chargers took a wide receiver, Mike Williams. And uh, the Jets and Chargers have had their issues over the years, and certainly the Chiefs have gone zooming past them and everybody else on their way to winning the Super Bowl. Yes, exactly. So, yes, plenty, plenty of regrets. Even if you got a good player, you could have had a franchise quarterback. Yeah, and they're hard to come by. So I think all pros, and really in the college level too, but it's specifically the pros on draft day, that there's a ton of pressure to get this right. And has there ever, how many quarterbacks have been absolute slam dunks? We know he's going to be all that. How many in the history of the game have been all that? Oh, it's a short list. Elway, obviously. I mean, he was the number one pick. Peyton Manning was the number one pick. Everyone expected them to be all that. Although Manning, he and Leaf, it was a toss-up. There's that famous Sports Illustrated story, and I think the GM split 15-13. They asked every GM except the Colts and Chargers, and they were split. Now, it turns out the Colts made the right pick, and Manning was all that. Uh, but there, there have been a lot of busts, too. All right, it's time to talk NFL Draft with Thor Nystrom, lead NFL Draft analyst for Roto World and NBC Sports. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Thor, good morning. 
And how are we doing? Merry Christmas or Merry Christmas Eve, I guess. Yeah, right. NFL draft. <laughs> it's uh, and and here. Although we don't have an NFL team and people's loyalties here are split, uh, we're all following the Utes to see how many of those players get drafted. And then the Jordan Love story, we can start there with the Utah State Aggies quarterback. And he was really good two years ago. Last year, there were a shocking number of interceptions, some. I mean, you expected a little bit of turmoil because he had a new head coach, a new OC, and nine new starters on offense. But still, some of the uh, pick sixes he threw, trying to throw the ball over to the sideline, and not seeing uh, linebackers underneath throwing down the field, it's a huge red flag. People are split. Uh, Should he be a top 10 pick? Could he fall out of the first round? What would you do if you were making the call? Yeah, I I see him more as a late first round guy. You know, if I I needed a quarterback and. I'm even split internally, you know, like the way that I feel about him. And I imagine that a lot of people that evaluate sort of feel the same way. You know, I, I think if you look at Jordan Love and you feel like you know what he's going to be 100%, I feel like you're wrong. You know, um, the, the way that I, I think about it is the way that you see Jordan Love, it, it, say, it says more about who you are than, than who Jordan Love is. Um, because it, it, a player with that sort of profile, it's just sort of impossible to say, this is exactly how it's it's, it's going to go. And, I mean, your point's really well taken. And folks out there, I mean, you, you guys know how the progression went. 2018, uh, he, he looked like a future top 10 pick, you know. And, and his, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but his TDI and T ratio is something like, you know, 32 to 6 or whatever. And he was playing with a couple NFL players there. And then, obviously, Darwin left and Ron Quavian left and Dax Raymond left and the coaching staff left and, you know, some of the offensive linemen left. And then, all of a sudden, like, you know, he returns and he's playing with Paul Cruz, you know, team from the longest yard. And, you know, the, the offensive, uh, you know, coaching staff is sort of bereft of uh, of creativity last year. And it was like, you know, sometimes it, it felt like Jordan Love was just like, like, like super frustrated about what was going on. And then it was like other times, like, he just was like, I don't care. Like, you know, I'm just annoyed. Like, like sometimes it felt like he was sort of like the goth kid, like up in his room was like sort of sulking like his dad had left it was like sort of painting his fingernails black it was like this sucks you know he's just throwing the ball into chest plates of linebackers and stuff like that and so as far as his evaluation you're talking about a kid perfect frame you couldn't draw it up any better same thing with the athleticism the ball shoots out of his hand like a pitching machine i mean you just don't see it like that too much you know it's just like shroom, shroom, you know whatever like um super comfortable in the pocket you know one of those kids it just looks like he was born there um, but, you know, again, he, he already had some raw elements as far as his game 2018, even though you could project it much easier. Last year, he had some sort of bugs, you know, some things as far as the decision making, um, the processing, stuff like that, the field vision, um, the bad habits that got ingrained that in addition now are, are going to have to be sort of coached out of him. You're going to have to have a, you know, a guy go in there like an IT team and sort of like try to debug him. It just elevates that risk profile a bit. But just because of how high that, that ceiling is, um, even with that risk profile at the position he plays, it almost demands that he goes in, in the first round in a quarterback needy league. Do you see the Patriots uh, drafting a quarterback either staying where they are or trading up? I think the, I, I don't see them trading up for Jordan Love just because of that risk profile. That would seem to be an anti-Belichick thing. The one scenario where I could see them trading up for a quarterback, um, and it seems less likely now than it did a week ago, but when there was a lot of a lot of that smoke about Tua's hip, and it seemed like 
it did seem a little bit overblown. It seemed like there was some, some people in the Miami organization that were sort of bending over backwards to grab ears of their sources in the media and tell them like, oh, you know, we're concerned about your, we're concerned about Tua. Like, we actually like Justin Herbert more, which didn't really make any sense because if it was, if, it, if that was actually true, I, I'm not sure why you'd be trying to tell like all the draft folks that, but if you know if that scenario was true or if it, it does turn out to be true and they just they just have really loose lips or whatever and Tua does fall beyond them and let's just say that San Diego just they're not the biggest Tua fans and they they decide to take an offensive tackle you know or whatever instead of instead of a quarterback that would be the scenario where potentially Tua starts to fall down a little bit you know the NFL is a paranoid league as is and Tua you know because of the hip wasn't allowed, and because of the, the coronavirus, obviously, wasn't allowed to go into teams' facilities and be seen by their team's doctors. And so the NFL has to rely on another doctor. And even though the doctor that saw Tua is a world-renowned hip expert, the NFL still like, well, you know, my medical team wasn't allowed to see him. And, you know, I mean, like, all of us out there, we're in our own, like, little, you know, quarantines or whatever. We're all spending a lot of time sort of by ourselves and stuff like that. And you got you to think, like, these NFL decision-makers, it's the same sort of thing. And during this process, they've sort of been festering with their own thoughts and, um, you know, stuff like that. I think a little bit of even more paranoia than usual is setting in. And so that, that would be sort of the scenario where if Tua starts to fall down a bit, that would be the scenario where I could see, you know, if, if, if you see Tua, like, at 11, at 12, something like that, 13, I think that's where you could see the page, you know, Belichick just saying, like, this isn't something I usually do, but this is a crazy scenario. This kid shouldn't be available. Like, let's just do this thing. Well, you just referenced the charges of San Diego, so Dean Spanos will probably be suing you in about 20 minutes. So good luck with that. But that's okay. I'll get the lawyer on the phone. (laughs) Yeah, we know know what you're getting at, though, as far as the Chargers with Taylor and is he a bridge quarterback, you know, to the next guy. We get that. So while we're all following uh, the quarterbacks here, especially because Jordan Love and and a guy we've all watched on TV here, we've also watched a lot of the Utes. And they are going to have, depending on who you believe, six, seven, eight, nine guys drafted. I think it's going to be on the higher end of that. But uh, you study it closer than I do and talk to NFL people. So what do you think? They're going to have a lot, uh, and, and a lot of defenders, a lot of interesting defenders, right? I mean, you could sort of go down the list, and it's, it's, it's a lot of guys where it's like, you know, different flavors for different guys. I'm a big Jalen Johnson guy. I'm a big, big Jalen Johnson guy, and I heard from a source that his shoulder is good. Um, you know, it's cleaned out. Everything is good with that. It's not going to be an issue going forward. So, to me, Jalen Johnson is for sure, no doubt about it, a first-round guy. Um, you know, and, and, and to me, you know, quasi-top-20 pick type guy, I think I have him as cornerback four. Um, you know, and then, I mean, just like, you know, again, with the defenders, we have two other guys in the defensive backfield there with them, both really interesting guys, Burgess and Blackman. You know, Nay, uh, uh, Leckie, you know, I mean, like, you, you just sort of go down the list. I, we'll see if Huntley gets drafted. I mean, he, he's a possibility for round seven. Obviously, Zach Moss is going to be drafted in the middle rounds at some point. I don't know exactly what the number is going to be, but um, it's going to be a lot. And, you know, we've seen in recent years, like the NFL respects what Utah does as far as player development goes. Um, those kids come into the league ready to play. So you're going to see a lot of Utah Utes go Friday or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And to an extent, the draft is somewhat of a crapshoot. Do you think this year, with the circumstances that we have, with no personal workouts and pro days and whatnot, that it's more of a crapshoot? Yes, I do. Yeah, and in in this sort of very specific way, where in you know in the past the NFL, it's like. 
this sort of like investigative unit, like like the FBI, and they're getting like you know on every single prospect, you know, even beyond the three hundred and however many guys get invited to the combine, you know, double, triple that amount of prospects. They get all the intel in the world on them, you know, where it's like their background info, and they're talking to family and friends, and obviously they're grinding the tape and you know looking into the analytics, and they have their their athletic profile tests, and obviously they're talking to the coaches, like everything like that. This year, the 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 amount of information available to them took a huge haircut, you know, where they couldn't get these kids in the building. The athletic testing that they have to go off of, of guys that were not at the combine, um, you basically would have to go off of a kid's word, you know, with some of those like ridiculous YouTube, you know, testing things that we saw from, from some of these kids and stuff like that. You know, and I saw a bunch of them, you know, just as someone who, you know, does this for a job. Like I, I got sent a whole bunch of kids that did not go to the combine were DMing me their, you know, YouTube, you know, tests or whatever. And, you know, you watch me, you're just like, I, I can't take that seriously. Like, I, you know, it, you're not there. It's a wide angle. Like, I mean, I can't take your time seriously. You know, you can't bake that in, whatever. So the, what this does is like if you were not invited to the combine, if you didn't get in front of teams there, if you didn't submit an athletic profile there for, for those guys that did not, it just for those guys, as far as their evaluation goes, it makes their tape that much more important. And so for me, this draft is it, it, it really benefits the combine guys. Number one, I think you're going to see the most guys who got invited to the combine ever get drafted. So I think that's number one. It really hurts guys that did not get invited to the combine. And I think number two, it's the all-time tape draft. You know, it it leverages your tape more than anything. And so in the past where guys could move up the board, depending more on their, you know, pro day testing, um, their personalities, getting in front of people, meshing well with coaches, you know, stuff like that, character, stuff like that. Um, They can't do that as much this year. You know, you can only do so much of that over, over scoops, Skype and Zoom and like stuff like that. And so um, I, I just think it's going to be way more tape and stuff like that. And I was talking with a, a friend about this. It's going to be interesting in a decade or so to look back at this class and, and look at the hit rate of this class, you know, first round, second round, third round, all the way through the seventh round and see if, you know, in, in terms of correlation to NFL success, if the hit rate on this one, depend, you know, is, is higher or lower than in regular years because if it if it just I mean everyone just sort of assumes like you know this this is going to be worse you know a lot of GMs are already sort of like oh you know I, I didn't we weren't able to get a regular process they're already sort of baking in excuses for themselves um, but if it's better you know because that, that's a possibility it, it, we, we, we could have like a higher hit rate you know this year it, it would just sort of speak to the idea that the tape is is more important than you know some of these other aspects of the process you know and maybe that would in some ways fundamentally change the process itself well you you I, I, your first half of the answer i thought you were going the other way in the end you brought it back I've always been stunned that it turns into the decathlon at the Combine when you've got all this tape and it's going to be a football game, not a track meet. Now, the thing they're giving up is the in-person interviews. And if that helps tell you which guys just don't have the makeup to do the extra film work and to be detail-oriented and be part of the team, I get where that isn't an excuse. That's a reason when a GM says it. But... Man, the decathlon versus the tape. I've always thought the tape should be more important. I, I don't understand why we're sitting around watching televised shuttle drills thinking that's really important when we already can see if a guy can run over to the sideline and make a tackle or not. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, there there are some guys where it is disqualifying in, in, in terms of they just don't have the juice to play. You know, that like, um, you know, in terms of threshold, like, you know, we, we do have the data on this where there, there's, 
you know, at a certain point, a guy just does not have the athleticism to play in the NFL. And at, and at certain athletic thresholds, you know, we have the data that says that, that you know, they're going to be far more likely to succeed. So just in terms of that, it is a useful data point. But the tape is more important. I mean, that that is the thing. You know, it's and that should lead to day in evaluations. 100% until this year, that being the thing that is going to get leveraged, it will be interesting. You know, again, looking back at this draft in a decade, because this is going to be, this draft will be a data point unto itself. We're never going to see something like this again. It's going to be interesting to see if, if this draft has a higher hit rate or a lower rate than historical drafts. Do you think that even maybe starting with the first round, because of the situation, teams will be more sure of who they want to draft and there won't be any doubt when it's their pick? Or will there be some deliberation we should go ABC direction? I think the first round is the one that will be more by the book, you know, at least as, as far as that goes, as far as like a crazy year. Just because like these teams have done all the exercise as far as the mock stuff. They have information about where some of these, these other you know teams are going. I'm sure they've you know, it's sort of like, you know, like the old uh, Bill Walsh thing, you know, where they, they would like, you know, he, he'd draw like the first, you know, 10, 20 plays or whatever. I think where it will get really crazy is starting after that and specifically in day three, just because, you know, the, the, the way the teams will view all those different kids and because of that lack of information, um, I think you're just going to start to see maybe some what I would consider to be dart throws. You know, we're, we're, we're going to see guys that maybe, you know, I might see as an undrafted guy go in the fourth round. And, you know, I mean, just like just differing opinions like that, um, just because, you know, again, it, it, it will go down to the information and, and analysis of tape as opposed to some of these other different things. So um, I think in the first round, we're definitely going to see some curveballs for sure. I mean, we're going to see curveballs throughout this this thing, and it could start at three, you know, as early as three, you know, if the Lions bail out of that pick. Um, but, yeah, specifically once we get later on, um, I, I think it's going to start to get, like, truly, like, wild, wild west crazy. Uh, last thing here before we let you go. If there is a major technical snafu because it's a virtual draft and a team's time on the clock runs out, are they going to just say, just blow them a kiss, wave goodbye and go on? Or is there going to be some acknowledgement that, hey, this is an IT issue, let's let this team make a pick? What are they going to do? How set in stone are the rules? They claim that they're, they're able to just pause the draft. Like, it seems like the NFL is going forward with this thing, like like literally, like it's a fantasy football draft. Like like Goodell will have the the possibility of just sort of hitting the red button, you know, like commissioner mode. Like you know, when you guys out there played your ESPN thing, and it's like it has the commissioner access, and it's like pause draft. Like it really feels like that. I mean, that that seems what the protocol is for this. It's crazy, but it seems like that's what it is. And so, like, you know, you think back to, like, that one year with the Vikings where they got they got hopped a couple times because they didn't get the pick in time. I don't even know if, if that would happen because, like, if a team didn't pick in time, would Goodell be calling them and being like, well, did you just not get it in in time because you didn't get it in in time or are you having technical difficulties? Like, you know, what they posit at that point? I'm not really sure, but, um, you know, the the – that part of it could be even crazier than the picks, which I also expect the picks to be pretty crazy. We're we're going to get multiple levels of crazy. It's going to be like inside the looking glass, like Alice in Wonderland kind of crazy here the next couple of days. I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm going to be here for the whole thing, you know. 
He's Fort Nystrom. He dropped the Paul Crew reference earlier and never left. We're social distancing here, so we couldn't get PK's take because he's on remote. But I'm in one studio, and uh, and and our producer Jake is through the other one. And when you dropped that Paul Crew reference, we both looked at each other like. Nice. Look at you go. Good work. <laughs> the, the fake football you player. You fans know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the fake football player got the bigger reaction than any of the real football players. All right, Thor, we, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thor Nystrom, you can read him. Uh, Roto World, NBC Sports, NFL draft analyst. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And a drop. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time for your feedback. The question of the morning. PK, you asking people on uh, Facebook. Kyle Winningham thinks if the NFL doesn't play this season, then neither will college or high school. How can we possibly get along with no football? And we got people saying that, uh, well, first off, we got people saying that they haven't been watching the NFL at all. Matthew says, it's easy. I stopped watching the NFL 10 years ago. I never watched college football. I'm doing just fine. It's hard to believe these people are listening to our show and following us on social media. We spend a lot of time on football. (laughs) Yeah, really. If you're not paying attention to either NFL or college football... I'm not sure we're the place for you. <laughs> but thank you. We'll take you, but we don't get it. <laughs> I guess there are some people who listen to us seasonally, you know, as the jazz ramp up. That must be what it is. Not that anybody's ramping up right now. Everything's come to a complete stop for more than a month. Dan says, if all the football stops, that would be similar to living in Provo and being a Zoob fan. The horror. So that's getting a lot of thumbs up from Ute fans and Aggie fans. Well, if there's no football, we're going to need Don McLean to write a song the day football dies. <laughs> you need four syllables. American Pie, right? Is that five syllables? Depending on how you run them yeah. together, how you slur it. That's on my mind because, exactly. Yeah, that's on my mind because during this quarantine period, I watched La Bamba the other day. We did as a family, uh, and uh, that song was written, uh, American Pie was written for the death of uh, Richie Valens and Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper, and I think there might have been some other uh, uh, crew people who were involved in that too. Obviously there were, but those were three big-time musicians. And then I never knew that. Uh, that that song that was that what that song was about until way after the fact that whenever I first heard that song. Perry says, "If there's no football, what would it be like?" Well, ask BYU because they've been doing it for years. L O L O L O L. J K. Sataki's the first coach I've liked there for years. It really is interesting how a coach's personality changes the whole perception of the rivalry. Because there was so much uh, tension, fire around the rivalry, and then you have the coaching change. Now, leaving the same league, I think, is a factor. You know, being in the same league is one thing, but it was still pretty intense the first couple of years after the Mountain West. Maybe, you know, it's partly the passage of the time, but it still seems like it's partly Sataki and his personality and relationship with Witt, too. 
Oh, most definitely. The clan, the Whittingham clan, they didn't really like Bronco that much and bringing up religion and making it sound like uh, you were a devil and not a sun devil if you went to Utah. And if you went to BYU, you were righteous. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that can create some, some conflict there. And they do like Kalani. Kalani was at Utah for 10 years, obviously. And I, and I think, you know, if it would have been reversed or, or if, if, if somehow Bronco and Kyle had worked together for 10 years, like Gary and Kyle, like Kalani and Kyle, maybe there would have been a little bit of uh, a better relationship there. But that was a, a nasty time in terms of a relationship between the two coaches. There's no doubt about it. And it's changed. Although a lot of BYU fans, though, are sort of ticked. And they, in, in all honesty, and I love Kalani as much as the next guy. Too much But I respect. think they're a little bit tired of saying it's an honor to play BYU. Or it's an honor to play Utah. You, you threw me for a loop there at the start of that when you went, the clan. I'm like, the clan? <laughs> Where's PK going? I got worried for a second. Like, the clan? Like, because you can't see the look on somebody's face because yeah. PK's on remote, social distancing, all that. But like, the they, clan? I'm like, pause. The Whittingham clan. I'm I was like, like oh, oh. All right, now you're going. I didn't see where you're going at first. Now I got it. But yeah, there was. That's it, because you guys always think racially, and I can't get that out of your mind. <laughs> That's not what you tell us normally, but we'll go with it this time. Uh, but you're right as far as it's not just Kyle and Bronco, but you got the incidents in the stands with the family, and you got a lot of extended family, some of which lives in Utah County. So they're hearing stuff that never gets to the media that amps things up. So there's a lot of layers to it. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hans and Scotty are coming up next. Stay with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.